Welcome to Heads Up, the ISC research series that keeps you informed of the latest trends happening in the international schools market. Let's get started with our episode. So welcome everyone. Thank you for making the time to join us today. I am Pia Maske, East Asia Field Research Manager at ISC Research. So if you're tuning into this episode, then you're most likely interested in hearing about the latest trends within the international schools market and the many, many factors that impact it. So one such factor is inflation, which we will be looking at today. So many of us would be aware that inflation is becoming a major concern with prices reaching highs all around the world. So schools can be faced with a variety of challenges already. And with the added pressure of global inflation pushing up overall costs and tightening budgets, you know, what new challenges are schools facing in this economic turmoil? How are schools alleviating the risks to their teaching and learning and to their entire school community? And what practical solutions and suggestions are there that may help the broader international schools community to unite in a time of crisis? Mm -hmm. So these are the sorts of questions that we will be exploring in today's session. So with us are our two panelists who have kindly agreed to join us today to discuss how global inflation is impacting their schools. So we've got Sylvie Lazar, Director of Advancement at the International Christian School of Budapest in Hungary. And we also have Maina Anderson, who is Director at Banjul American International School in The Gambia. So welcome to you both. Thank you very much for Thank joining you. us today. So because inflation impacts different schools differently, sometimes depending on their location, their type, their size, etc. Please could you start by telling us a bit about your school? And I'd like to start with you, Sylvie. Hi, everyone. Um, uh, ICSB, International Christian School of Budapest, is an international Christian school. Um, and we are located on the outskirts of Budapest. Um, we follow the U.S. curriculum. We offer AP classes and tests, um, SAT, PSAT, and ACT tests, and we actually issue uh, an, a U.S. high school diploma upon graduation. We currently have 270 students um, from 26 different nationalities, and um, we are a Christian school, so um, all of our curriculum is taught from a Christian perspective, from a biblical worldview, and um, ICSB was actually founded in 1994 by missionary organizations. And we are committed to ensuring that the, the school is accessible and um, affordable for uh, missionary families and their students, their children. Thank you so much for giving us that background, uh, Sylvie. Uh, Mina, could you tell us a bit about your school, please? Sure, I find it interesting because every school is so unique in its perspective. Our school was founded in 1983. It's the Banjul American International School. For much of its history, it was known as the Banjul American Embassy School. But as the school uh, community got to understand that really it was more than just the embassy, it was serving an international group, they did decide to change the name about six years ago. So Bayes, we call it Bayes, is, um, it's always been a small school. Um, having worked overseas for more than 30 years in international schools, I would, I would call it a nano school. Our population is usually 50 to 60 students total from pre-K all the way through now high school. So it's very, very small. And um, 
you know, one of the things that Sylvie mentioned was the importance in her school of affordability. Our school was not founded for that. Our school was founded to make sure that our students can leave our school and go to any other school with an excellent education and be prepared for success. We are um, non-selective, so whoever comes, that's whom we're here to serve. We're here to serve both the local population, the, uh, the local global business population, the diplomatic population, the NGO population. So as they come, we are here to make sure that our standard is high enough that their students will leave from whatever point they come in at a higher level and at a level where they're ready for success. Thank you so much for explaining that, Maya. I like the term nano school that you mentioned earlier. I'm probably going to start using that <laughs> to describe uh, smaller schools. Um, Sylvia, I'd like to turn to you because I'm curious to know, like, what would you say are the top areas for the International Christian School of Budapest that are most impacted by the global inflation crisis? So if there are a few areas, perhaps we could stick to the top two or top three, and then you know, hopefully you could also share with us some strategies that the school has put in place to overcome the challenging impacts of inflation. Absolutely. So I think the, the top um, the top of the list would be cost of energy prices, that it has gone up so much in the past couple of months that we're currently looking at four times, we're spending four times as much um, on energy as we spent last year at the same time. And we really don't see the end of it either. So it has been <clears throat> it has been raising um, or rising um, in the past couple of months, but we don't really know where it's gonna end up being. And um, so that's, it, it causes a lot of uncertainty and instability, of course. So, um, so with that, parents, just the whole cost of living being so, so much more, and it's just so much more expensive to buy groceries, to, to pay for our own um, um, utility bills. And, and, um, and so it's a lot of, it's, it's a big, um, it has a big impact on our families as well. So paying tuition, of course, is impacted because of that. And, um, and, and actually our staff is also um, impacted because their salaries are of course worth less. So these are, I, I think these are the, the three, um, three most important things. And then what we're trying to do is, um, well, we're trying to um, lower our costs or expenses as much as possible. So we actually implemented quite a few um, energy um, saving solutions. Um, it's, it's quite cold now. It's November, and for our um, for our country, it's usually around five to ten degrees Celsius. And by this time, we would usually have the heating on. It's not on, mm -hmm. so um, it's um, it's not uncomfortable. But we did ask our parents to send our to send children to school, you know, in warmer clothes, and we to do tell them that they we ask that they um for example they turn off the the lights as they when they leave the classroom i mean that didn't used to be um something that we concentrated on we we are actually educating our students a little bit more about that and how to conserve energy and um and we also installed some like on our <clears throat> on our radiators we installed um these specific like these um, individual thermostats so we're trying we're just trying to save money on energy basically that's that's the idea um about parents paying tuition well we are we are 
we're trying to be very flexible with that. Um, we are helping, um, actually our, our tuition is already at a very low, um, end of the, of the market. So we are the cheapest international school in, in the country. And so, um, we are, we're trying to, we're trying to keep that, keep the flexibility, um, of, well, we, we offer financial aid and, and we, um, we help with payment terms if it's necessary. So we really try to, um, honor our, our current families and we really want to help them if, if um, they need help. So that's, that's what we, these are the strategies that we've come up with. Thank you for sharing them, Sylvie. And I like that they're very practical as well. So I'm imagining your school now that I like the individual thermostat thing that used to drive me nuts in schools when you can't adjust, right? Um, I see like um, Mina nodding her head as well. So I imagine you've got some similar experiences, but turning to you now, Mina. So I understand that you are a seasoned international school leader with experience of leading schools in Pakistan, Uzbekistan, Oman, the UAE, and now in the Gambia. So what have you learned to help you manage a challenge like this? And mm -hmm. how does your context at uh, base, is that, am I saying that correctly, at base, um, compare to Sylvie's experience at her school? Yeah, first I wanted to give a, a, a shout out to Sylvie because, you know, it's one thing I, I think I mentioned before we started, oh, I had the windows open, I don't use air conditioning because I've asked my staff also to avoid air conditioning when possible. But when you have, you know, 90% humidity and it's 100 degrees, it's really, it's really a big ask. So, you know, they do use air conditioning as needed, but I can't ever use air conditioning because I want to be leading in that. And I noticed that Sylvia is wearing a nice warm coat and scarf in her office. And I would imagine she doesn't have her thermostat turned up because as a leader, if you can't, if you can't follow the rules that you're setting or you can't, uh, you know, exemplify what it is you want people to do, then there's no reason that you should be asking them to do it. So I, I firmly believe that. So good, good job, Sylvie. Opposite to what Sylvia said, our tuition is the highest. Our tuition is, you know, probably 10 to 20 times higher than your average private school. And for the most expensive private schools, our pre-K tuition is going to be more expensive than their highest tuition for their highest category. So for so many people in the Gambia, we are just unaffordable. And there is always this discussion of should we lower our fees to attract more people, offer a different program. And that actually happened in 1983. This school was originally Marina International School. And in 1983, the parents said, we're too small. Let's lower our tuition. Let's bring in more people. Let's get more West African teachers, become more in tune with what's happening. And by the end of the year, all of the original parents left. And they said the quality of teaching has gone down, the quality of care has gone down. And so instead of our school having a 50, 60 year history, we have a 30, we have almost a 40 year history because it didn't work out when we did that. So, you know, for us, we had, a, when I entered the school four years ago, it was at a financial crisis. And my first email to the board was, when are we going to tell the parents we're going to close the school? Because we did not have enough money to get through the year. And there had been four to five years of just, you know, over $100,000 deficits every year. When your budget is only a million dollars, you know, or less, that's just extreme. So the reserve was gone. There was nothing left. And it was time to really 
say to the staff and say to everybody, we're in trouble. And at that juncture, the board had a choice to make. What kind of school are we going to be? And they said, we want to stick to our mission. We want to deliver a quality education. And in order to do that, we have to raise the fees. They raised the fees substantially for um, employer paying. We have two categories, self-paying parents and employer-paying parents. And they raised the fees substantially for employer paying. And they did it because they had to, to make the school be able to run break-even budgets, okay? We had two unexpected years of great enrollment throughout COVID. So everybody suffered during COVID. For us, COVID was not an issue. More, we had very few cases. So we opened back up by October of 2020, face-to-face. -face. So we had more people who actually came here so that their families could be with them and so that they could go to this little school and feel safe. So, you know, that helped us. And again, we're talking, that was a big year. We had 67 students that year. So 67 may still sound nano to everyone else, but you realize that that's 12 to 15 students more than normal, right? That's more than 20% increase. And we had budgeted, we had had a budget that ran down to 30, per, 30 kids. So, for us, we had two good years, we built up our reserve, and now this year we're back down in a small year. And again, because we are so small and so nano, A, we have no control of our enrollment. It's as families come and as families go. And B, you know, our enrollment, we, we can't really predict or, or make it grow because we're so expensive that people literally just can't afford us. So it's a very niche market, it's very, um, susceptible to enrollment changes. So it's it's really um, important and paramount that the board make sure that the tuition can support a break-even budget in any given year, and that when they have good years that they are then buying resources. So last year when we had a good year, that's the year we invested. We predicted that enrollment would be going down. So we invested in um, making sure that our campus, so we have an aging rented campus. We made sure that everything was working, was fixed. All the projects we needed to do came out of last year's budget and the rest went into development funds, okay? Mm -hmm. This year we will barely break even. We will be lucky if we break even, we will have to cut every single place, but we are committed to a break even budget. Our mm -hmm. staff are also committed to the school. So they took a 20% cut in 2020. It went back to a 10% cut and it has not come up to 0%. But the staff understand this is, we're not cheating. This is all we can offer, okay? So cost of living this year, this year it has impacted them. The global crisis has impacted more our staff and our families. The school, because we knew we wouldn't have money this year, we really made sure we did our investment. We bought all of our stationery last year on the budget. We made sure we had it so that we're not having those, we're not as impacted by the inflation now, okay? Um, the things, you know, we don't have, we're lucky, Sylvie, we don't have to worry about heating, right? Our energy costs aren't that much more. We need diesel for the kerosene, or for the, for the, sorry, for the generator, but by and large, you know, we're going to do okay. When it gets now, it's cooling down just slightly. Now I will be telling teachers no more AC for a while, right? Unless it's extreme because we want to save now because at the hotter months and nearer to the summer, that's when we'll spend more money. So we just have to keep watching everything we're expending. If we really get to a desperate situation, we would have to either take the decision to cut everyone's salaries again or look at staffing and if there are ways that we could shrink staff. Mm -hmm. Maina, just out of interest, 
you did ahead. you raise did you raise the self-paying tuition fees as well because you mentioned the employer uh, paying ones that you raised maybe four years ago the first year self-paying was raised eight percent which is huge jump right it was raised eight percent the second year three percent and then the third year we held because we knew it was getting too high we were gonna if that that balance of when you're gonna lose more people than you're gonna keep now i know that there are cries for parents this year who will be saying please lower the fees please lower the fees and the question will come down to do we have the enrollment necessary to be able to lose the so we're very open with everybody this is what we get this is what we have this is what we can afford you know if you if you want to lower the fees, what parts of the program do you want us to cut? Because that will really be what it comes down to. Um, and I, I think that our parents are pretty firm. I know our board is pretty firm on, no, we want this quality education. We're gonna try to promote and let people know about the school as much as possible. Our high school is a lower cost because we started the high school three years ago and we started our high school as a way to increase revenue. So right now we have a little middle school. We only have three kids in middle school. Two years ago, we had uh, 19 years kids in middle school. Last year, we had 12 students in middle school. So it really wavers. Um, but we had 19 students in high school. Last year, we have 13 in high school. So again, if we hadn't opened that high school, our numbers would be even smaller. So mm -hmm. it has kind of worked out. And it's, and it's changed the school in a certain way, but we've managed to make it a, a really good change. Uh, and it helps parents who come and they need their kids to have a quality education to get into good universities. So we've had really good luck so far with university admission. One thing I just wanted to add, one thing that we did for our teachers is, you know, usually we set the exchange rate. All of the contracts are quoted in dollars. And then in August, we took the exchange rate and we set that exchange rate, but they were paid in local currency in Delasi. And so usually that went for six months. And then we reset the exchange rate because the exchange rate had been completely stable. Now with inflation, people have really lost market value, you know, 10% in the last three months. So what the teachers and, and, and approached the board to do and what we all supported was to go to quarterly exchange rate changes. So that will lessen some of the, the loss of buying power for their contract. So that helps them a lot. We considered going to monthly, but again, for the school, you can get into a situation where if parents are paying on a certain rate in local currency, and then monthly, the currency is going up, you can lose money. So we had to do it kind of quarterly. We explained that to the staff. They were happy. Mm -hmm. This is what we'll do, right? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Maina. Um, Sylvia, just um, from, from what Maina was saying, I'm just curious how the situation is at your school with the parents, because you mentioned that the school has also started to offer financial aid or scholarships to parents. Uh, but in your school, are there different categories of you know, maybe self-paying, employer-paying parents as well, similar to, to Maina's school? Yeah, we have actually very many different categories because uh, the, the mission of the school is to support the missionary parents which means that um, they automatically get 40 to 60% of um, tuition discount compared to everybody else. And so, <clears throat> but we have about, about half of our student population is coming from missionary families and the other half is local and international business um, families. And in the past, it's been a custom that, um, as, as, my, as Mina said, employer, um, employer paid um, fees were higher and those that are coming from the international business uh, community, they were paying a higher tuition. 
And then locals, Hungarians, were paying about 60 to 60 to 70% of what um, the, the international business category was paying. And then the, the missionaries were paying about 40 to 50% of what um, our, our international community was paying. So that's been the practice. Um, we're now kind of changing that a little bit. We're in the process of um, reviewing our, our tuition um, uh, structure. So we will keep supporting the, the, the missionary community with about 40 to 60% of um, uh, tuition discount. Um, and on top of that, offering um, financial assistance um, if they need that. Most of them don't. I mean, 40% is um, is usually affordable for all of them. And um, the rest of the, like now Hungarians, locals, and the international community will be paying the same amount um, as a base fee, but they will, um, they will have the opportunity to apply for a financial assistance, but that will be that will be um, that will be need based. So they will have to prove that they need that um, financial assistance. Um, and we actually um, we are very committed to the high quality of education that we have been providing. Our school actually um, our students have made um, made into the national merit um, scholarships, and and we are doing really well. Um, 95% of our students go on to their uh, their top three uh, colleges or top three picks. So that's like very, very high. And the other international schools in the country, they actually don't do as well as we do. But we but because we are so committed to to affordability, um, we we make we make it possible for which we, we really do our best to um to um, offer this high quality education with these prices. And this means that we don't, we don't make money. We're not for profit, of course. And we really invest every, like all of our funding comes from tuition. So mm-hmm. we, we really um, invest as much as possible. And the other, the other um, area that kind of um, affects this is that we have missionary teachers. So some of our, t- we don't pay all of our teachers. Our teachers are coming from the Christian missionary uh, community in the United States, and they raise their own support from private um, individual, like individuals and churches. And so basically their whole, th- their time here, their, their time here um, is, is supported by a mission organization, a church or individuals or a combination of those. So, um, and that way we can still have very high quality teachers um, who just, who are just that devoted and that dedicated that they will raise that support. It's quite a, it's quite an undertaking for them. They spend usually two months, their whole summer um, traveling around the United States and visiting churches and, and asking for uh, potential donors or current, their, their uh, existing donors to keep supporting them. Um, but they, they believe in the mission of the school and, um, and they just want to do it. And we're so grateful for that. So that's part of why that's the kind of like the financial reasoning behind giving all that, um, assistance or, or automatic discount for missionary families, because what happens is the missionary labor that we get from those missionary teachers kind of offsets the, that discount that our missionary families are getting. So that's how we do it. (laughs) 
Mm -hmm. oh, thank you for explaining that so because I wasn't too familiar with how you know the mission schools or mission it's very, yeah, it's very specific it's not like we don't really see this model very I mean it's it's not an unknown or not an um not a very like it, it happens with other missionary schools or Christian schools that that um, um, cater to missionary families around the world but there aren't very many of those So I actually would like to look to you now for some words of advice. Sylvia, my question for you is that, so my understanding is that you're in a, you're fairly new in a leadership role. What a time to be, <laughs> to be new to this, but, and I imagine it's been like a baptism of fire as well. So, but just beyond your own school's senior leadership team, Sylvia, what organizations or other channels are you reaching out to for advice, support, and solutions? Yes, we are very fortunate to be um, members of uh, ACSI, which is the um, Association of Christian Schools International. And so we are members of, uh, we're a member, member of, of this big group of international and just not just international, but like in the, in the United States, they also have a lot of member schools. And um, so we do get some counseling from them or at least best practices or um now they just started a um, advice for enrollment and how to keep up your enrollment. So there's there's professional development and and um, counseling coming from that angle, but also we um, we reached out about two years ago to um, the Global School Consulting Group, which is also they are they're they're looking at the structure and organization and finances of schools and um and management and they're helping and they're helping streamlining things um so they did a, a pretty extensive like um examination of our school and how we work and and uh our organizational structure and our finances and they came up with a report and so we are working off of that right now a lot of the changes that we have initiated in the past year um are a result of that, of that report. And um, so we we are lucky in that respect that we we did this report or did this whole um, examination or review um, during a time when 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 it was kind of okay to be to get get ready and, and prepare. And now we're <laughs> we're making those changes. So um so that helps. And also uh we have some local services that we that we um, look for, look to. Um, there's a specific um, Hungarian organization that kind of monitors Hungarian salaries in in our sector, and we do we do keep in touch with them, and we we kind of watch where things are going with that. So that informs our decisions as well. Um, and of course, there's um, a network of other international schools in Hungary, and we we are really, I mean, we there aren't very many Hung uh, international schools in Hungary. So, and in a way, we of course are competitors, but we're we are in somewhat different niches. So it's like it's not um, we're not like these really <laughs> hard competitors. Our our students play in the same. Um, um, athletic cups and stuff. So it's like we do meet and it's kind of like a close-knit um, community in a way. And so we do, our heads of schools are talking and especially if this this um, 
cooperation started during COVID when we were trying to figure out what we should be doing, what the government is saying, what the international community is saying, what WHO is saying. So they started like this roundtable discussion about COVID matters. And then now with the with the war and how we respond to the war and the refugees that continued, and now with all the inflation and all that, we do still um, reach out to them and we just kind of try to figure out what everybody else is doing. So that helps kind of gives us a um, more of a, a global, not, if not global, but definitely um, in the country um, ideas as to how to, um, how to um, respond to these challenges. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, we're trying to tap into the the local Hungarian school um, uh, relationships that we have, because what happens with the Hungarian local schools, uh, what the government is um, kind of directing them to do, that helps us as well. Because for example, it's a very practical thing. We were going to have the whole country was going to have a fall break at the beginning of November. Um, the Hungarian government said no local, no um, government fu- funded schools, which is basically any public school in Hungary, will have this fall break. They will make the Christmas break one week longer. So everybody stays home for another week in January so that they don't have to heat the school buildings during that time. And and so they they took away the fall break and then they they're extending the christmas break. So that was something that we also considered doing mm-hmm. and we might consider doing in the in the future. For now we haven't just because we it was it was like literally 2 days before our fall break started <laughs> that they made this decision so it wasn't something that we could do but we as we are we just finished putting together our our school calendar for the next year and we we actually factored that in and we decided no matter where the the energy prices go it's probably better to leave to make the the christmas break longer so our our building heating fee will be you know substantially less um if we we don't heat the building in january for a week that compared to if we don't heat the building in november or beginning of november um, so yeah, those are, those are things that we're also watching, um, locally to make sure that we get all the information we, we can, or the, all the best practices, I guess, that we can. That's so interesting about the, the fall break situation, Sylvie. I've not heard something similar in other places. And I'd like to go back to you, Mina. So Vandal American International School is a member of the Association of International Schools in Africa. And mm-hmm. is also part of the small schools initiative, if that's mm-hmm. correct. If that's correct. So, yeah. as a relatively smaller school, Mina, the Nano School, what advice would you offer to similarly sized schools about reaching out beyond their immediate school community for peer and expert support? Um, I really have to credit ASAS or the African International Schools Association for. Um, putting money towards supporting us. So when we have our general conferences every year, you know, each year they're supporting this, the heads of small schools. So it's, we're known as solo heads. We don't have a principal. We don't have counselors. We don't have other people to help us, right? And it's a really tough job. You know, when I did the same job I do here um, in Tashkent, for example, 
I had a staff of like 25 people supporting me just in admin, right? Somebody who did marketing, somebody who did the business office, somebody who was doing the legal stuff, somebody who was doing counseling, um, who was doing the newsletter, secretaries, all of these people, admissions. Here, I do all of that on my own. I do all the marketing, the admissions, everything. So just being able to turn to another small school head or solo head. So when the big school heads talk about how difficult things are and how challenged they are, I say, well, I taught music today for six lessons, plus I advertised the school, plus I did admissions, you know, and we kind of joke where we all look and say, don't you have a secretary? Because we don't have a secretary. So I think that it, it, you know, it kind of gives you somebody who understands your perspective. And the same thing as Sylvie was saying, someone with whom to share ideas and ideas which will be pragmatic and work in our context. So I really thank ASA a lot. You know, ASA is a membership-based organization. We pay our dues every year. And that is the one thing that I think is it's very worthwhile. It's worth all any of the money that we spend because they support us back, not just with professional development for teachers, but for professional development for boards and for directors. So ACE is a fantastic organization. Um, and the small school heads are really listened to. So we come up with ideas all the time. You know, most of us, we can't afford to go to the big recruiting fairs because the cost is just too much for us to pay for recruitment. So we need good teachers. We want good teachers. We're talking to ASA about can we host our own online, you know, fair through ASA for people who are diaspora and African people who want to come to Africa, who know they want to be in Africa. And, and ASA is always responsive to everything we do. So we have a general school heads meeting once a month where all of the heads of ASA come together. And every other week, we have a meeting just for the small schools heads. But we all have a WhatsApp group. We know each other very well. When it comes to conference times, we all wear the same color. You know, we, we have a lot of fun with it. Because if you don't make fun in small schools and make things happen, you'll, you'll die a slow, painful, lonely death. So you really have to, we're all the same kind of directors and um, we support each other a lot. So but it's one thing that I think people are gonna miss after COVID because a lot of these things really became robust during COVID. And then as COVID dissipates, I think you know some people are going to miss the support that they, the support networks they had built. And all I can say is as a head, don't let those dissipate. Continue those support networks. Being able to talk to people helps us thrive. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm glad that you said that, Maya, because um, Sylvie also mentioned that you've got these roundtables for international schools in Hungary that sort of started during COVID, right, Sylvie? And this yeah. is something that we hear from heads in other places as well. So hopefully those WhatsApp groups are going to keep going and the, you know, the meetings are going to keep going even outside of the pandemic-related need. I, I think one of the best things, sorry to interrupt, one of, another really good thing about being part of a group of heads like that is when people are talk, checking in and talking about a topic or sharing, wow, this is really, this is what's happening at my school. Almost every time I walk away going, wow, well, we're doing better than that, you know? You feel a little bit, because it can be a very lonely job as a head. And sometimes you feel this weight that you're carrying and when you hear what other people are going through, sometimes it puts things in perspective that, all right, we're doing fine. It's not as bad as I, it's not as bad as next door. Yes, I would definitely, I would, I would definitely concur. Like that's one of the 
I mean, it's great to have all these ideas shared and um, all these best practices and things that you actually didn't think of just because, yeah, you just didn't think of it and others did. And, but also all the encouragement or just that kind of um, the affirmation that, yeah, you were, you're not, you're not doing bad at all. And it's, um, it's really, it's really um, affirming and it's, it's really good. It's really good to, to go away with that from these meetings. So definitely, especially because you are, you are a very small school, Mina, but, um, but even, even our school is considered small in, in this market. Um, And so we're always, we always feel like, oh, we're this little neglected um, kind of step, little stepson or stepdaughter. And um, we're kind of, um, you know, but, but, but really, when we leave these, um, when we go to these meetings, and when we hear about what other other schools are doing, they're doing the exact same things, or, or they're not that much, I don't know, more sophisticated, or that much more um, advanced or ahead of us. And it's such an encouragement to to see that and, and to know that we can do it on a much, much, much uh, smaller budget. That's also encouraging. So yeah, yeah. Mm, that's true and that's very that's that's all all very good to hear so silly i do want to ask you are there any ways that you think um school partners and maybe suppliers can support you and your school during this period of economic challenge so what what is your message to these um entities like educational suppliers consultants and other supporting bodies I guess it's pretty much the same that that what we are doing. Um, I mean, financially, it would be great to get some discounts or, you know, like extended uh, payment terms. But honestly, um, I know it's it wouldn't be it probably wouldn't be a fair thing to ask. Although I will say that um, you can help a lot just by offering advice and flexibility. And um, for example, for us, what helps the most, I guess, is to know that we're not alone and to know that there are other schools who are struggling with the same things and just learning from them. And that's that's something we we understood and learned the, the value of that during COVID when um, we are a final site school. So our, our website is um, provided by final site and they just have such a strong um, community that we started reaching out and there were webinars and forums and and different panels and different it was amazing i learned so much from that and this is the same thing right now as soon as something like um as soon as i have a question or or as soon as i um i'm i'm uncertain about something or a new issue comes up i usually reach out to these to these um to this community not just this one but there's a school marketing community um um yeah just other schools i guess the network of international schools mm, as you said so that you know you're not alone yes. which i think is something that maybe some of us have felt during covid <laughs> quite it's easy to feel isolated mm-hmm. isn't it yeah so I'm, I'm glad that you've got those systems in place so mm-hmm. thank you mine i do want to ask you those same question that i asked to sylvie are, do you think there are ways that educational suppliers, consultants, or other supporting bodies can 
support you and your school during a period of economic challenge? And what's your message for them in, time of, in times of this global inflation? My message would be, I would be reaching out to suppliers who, who are willing to put their hand on their heart and say, we're going to get you the best transportation rates possible. We're going to barter and negotiate because shipping is so expensive, right? I think the second thing, I want suppliers who are going to, to really do that work for me to say, we're going to promise you quality products at the lowest price possible. I think a lot of supply chain, you know, uh, not supply chain, a lot of product prices right now, it's people just testing the market and seeing how high can we charge. And I really want a supplier who's willing, because I don't have time. You know, I, I do this when we do orders. I go through, my husband thinks I'm crazy. I go through and I look at all the different things out there and what's the cheapest price. And I know the teacher has just said, oh, this looks good, let's order this. I'm going to look for the place where I can get it most cheaply. I have to do that. I have to be responsible for the school. If I had a supplier that I knew was doing that already, I would be much more loyal to that supplier. So I know that suppliers are going to add their own markup, right? They have to in order to cover their, their admin. But if those suppliers can really put their hand on their heart and say, we are bartering for you. We are getting, we're not going to represent this company anymore because we cannot get a good price for them. And we're going to cut out all your choices and we're just going to give you the best price product. I would be very happy with that because that saves me the time from having to do that and my loyalty would go to them, right? So, so that really is important that the suppliers are thinking about that. I think when it comes to recruitment firms, I'm, you know, e even something as simple as a subscription like Seesaw, an educational subscription, Seesaw or Raz Kids or anything. I have all of these people who will say, oh, well, we start at 500. If you have 500 or more students, it costs this much. But from 500 down, it costs this much. And I'm like, come on, we have 50. And we have the income from 50. And so you're taking, you're, you're charging me the same thing as someone who has 10 times the income that I have. And there's no wiggle room. The international baccalaureate, we would love to become an international baccalaureate school. But when they say, I'm sorry, there's no rate change for a school that's as tiny as yours, then you know we're handcuffed. We can only afford a certain amount of things. So perhaps it's not so much in the inflation trend, but it's more of a consideration to think about what is actually the, the market that you are serving them, serving, and are you serving them or are you taking advantage of them to a certain extent, right? And if there's any way you can really think about those little schools that are in faraway places and supporting them, because little schools, if the country grows, they often become, become powerhouse schools. So Dakar 15 years ago was like us. Now it's huge. Those suppliers need to support us when we're small so they have our loyalty when we're big. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for that, Maya. I like the example of the minimum 500. That must drive you insane, though. <laughs> <That's also> <laughs> Which is unfortunate. So I hope that suppliers listen to the, to the message that you've just delivered now. Um, that's actually all the questions that we have time for today. And there are certainly a lot of good practices to share and conversations to keep having around the crisis. So thank you all for joining us today and contributing to this insightful discussion. I really had a good time chatting with you both, Sylvie and Maina. 
Um, to everyone joining us, please feel free to reach out to us at ISC Research on our various social media channels like LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you again to our panelists, Sylvie and Mina, uh, for your time yeah. and insights. This conversation with Pia will continue on the ISC Research community, where Sylvie and Mina will discuss the impact of global inflation on staff recruitment and retention. For this and other exclusive content, request to join our community launching in February 2023. Find out more on our website, iscresearch.com.